Welcome everybody to the weekend and thank you so much for allowing me to join you again in your space wherever it may be, wherever in the world, to share with you God's Word. Last weekend, we started talking about some important habits we need to have in our lives if we're going to experience what it really means to live in the zone. Now when I say living in the zone, I mean that place where it doesn't feel like you're having to work at your faith so much as your faith is working in you. There's this sense of the Holy Spirit just flowing in your life and through your life. And when a whole bunch of people get together like that, called the church, and have that experience, it is absolutely amazing. Do you remember these words in Acts chapter 2 from last weekend? Listen again. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wasn't that exciting? Isn't that how you would love to live your life? Isn't that the kind of community you want to belong to? That's what I pray for. That's what I aspire to in my own life and for those of us who are part of Wooddale Church, that we would have Pentecost on a regular basis in our lives and in our experience together. So last weekend, we looked at the first habit that we know we have to have in our lives for this to take place. And I borrowed from an athletic metaphor. In fact, I talked about Michael Phelps, the great swimmer, perhaps the, well, he is the most decorated Olympian of all time. 28 medals, can you imagine? I've seen pictures of him with all his medals. It's pretty amazing. And 23 of them, gold medals. And if you were to ask Michael Phelps or his coach, Bob Bowman, what made, you know, what made you such a champion? One of the things he would talk to you about is this idea of visualization. And we talked about that last weekend. Visualization is the capacity to kind of look ahead at what you're going to do and in a sense mentally and even emotionally experience it. So Phelps, in other words, would in his mind go through the race. Every stroke, every breath, every turn, he tried to see it, feel it experience it so that when he actually got in the water, it's like, I've already been here. He'd already kind of mastered the things he's going to need to do. And what we said is that what visualization is to an elite athlete, look at this, prayer is to a serious follower of Christ. Because in prayer, what we do is we, in a sense, mentally go to a place where we live out what hasn't actually happened yet. Because the Bible teaches us that we live on two dimensions. We live on this earthly dimension, the here and now, but at the same time, we have an existence in a spiritual dimension. I know it sounds kind of weird, but well, look what Paul said. We looked at this passage last weekend, Colossians chapter 3. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. A little time out there. Right now with this COVID-19 going on, I don't know about you, but so much of my mind is occupied with the things of this earth. Paul says, man, let your mind be occupied with the things of heaven, the things of God. He goes on, he says, for you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So Paul says, you don't have to wait for heaven. Spiritually speaking, you can enter heaven now, and prayer is the way we do that. Through prayer, I come into the presence of God through Jesus. And through prayer, I hear from God. And through prayer, I commune with God. And through prayer, I receive from God what I need to bring to bear in this earthly realm that I'm living in. Not just for my life, but for my family, for my friends, even for people I don't even know. And as I was thinking about this, a picture came to my mind this week, and I wanted to share it with you. It's of a mid-air refueling above the clouds. I mean, it's just pretty impressive to me. Uh, pretty scary too. But here's this massive plane and it's full of fuel. And here comes this small plane that's running out of fuel. And through the boom here, the fuel is injected into that plane until it has enough fuel and it pulls away and it continues on with its mission. So I was thinking to myself, prayer is kind of like a mid-air refueling experience. If I think about the heavenly places as this plane, I've got the spiritual fuel that's there for me. And the boom is prayer. So I literally come before God in prayer and he infuses into my life through faith, through prayer, this fuel that I need to carry on my mission here in this life. Because I'm convinced that as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's only one reason God didn't take you home the moment you accepted Christ. And that's because he has a mission, a purpose for you in this life. It may be in pain and suffering. It may be in loss. It may be in success. It may be in a combination of things. But God has a purpose for you to manifest Jesus to people who haven't come to faith in him yet. And so by prayer, I'm able to access what I need to deal with life down here both the good and the bad, both the people I love and the people who challenge me. What I do is I go to God first and I get, I get my resources ahead of time. I preview my, my day. I preview my week. I, I preview the problems, the challenges I'm going to face. And there I access from God the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, the forgiveness, whatever it is I'm going to need to take into that. It's like I, I live my, my day out in prayer before I start my day. Have any of you tried that from last weekend? Has anybody tried that yet? I've been working on it. I've been trying to be more intentional with it, and I hope you will too. It is one of the keys to experiencing this flow of God's presence. And when we're all, as a community of faith, when we're all doing this together for each other and for the world around us, man, that's when Pentecost comes in our lives, in our relationships, in our church. But there's a second habit I want us to look at this weekend. And that habit can be summarized in one word, and it's this word practice. Now, for some people, that word makes them grimace, right? Our kids took piano lessons when they were very young, like for 10 years. And 
You know, they didn't always want to go to practice. And I gotta be honest with you, I didn't always want to hear them practicing. But you can't become accomplished if you don't practice. Take Michael Phelps before the 2012 Olympics. That guy practiced 365 days a year. Yes, a year for six years. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe a week or two, but for six years, twice a day. And then before the 2016 Olympics, he was swimming something like 50 miles a week with all the training that he was doing. He was dedicated to practicing. Now, I know somebody's there thinking to themselves, wait, 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 wait. Stop talking about Michael Phelps. The guy's a phenom, all right, Pastor Dale? I could practice as hard as long as Michael Phelps and never, ever come up halfway to his capacity. He was born with the genetics. He was born with the capacity. Now, I'll agree with you on that. I mean, the guy is six foot four, 195 pounds. He's like a cutting machine in the water. He's got an 80-inch wingspan, all right? Can you imagine that? And a lot of people don't know this, but he has a, twice the capacity for oxygen in his lungs than the normal human being does. So no wonder the guy can be out of the water as long as he is and, and have the strokes and the, and the capacity that he does. I agree he was born that way. You were not. However, however, you have been born again. You have been born again, and you've been born again of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, lives in you right now. Paul tells us that. Jesus promised that. So you have supernatural capacity. And God can do great and mighty things to you. That's why the, the, Paul says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, John and Paul talk about that. The capacity in you, the capacity in me. And when we all get together, the, the, the body of Christ, oh my goodness, the capacity that is there for us is astounding, is absolutely amazing. So the question, the question is, are we going to put it into practice? I think it was Michael Jordan, another great athlete, who said, you know, there are, there are people who... who uh, who said they want it. There are people who wish for it, and then there are those that make it happen. And I was thinking to myself, okay, which kind of Christian am I? Am I the kind that wants it, wishes for it, or makes it happen? Now, I don't mean happening in my own strength, all right? God doing it through me, but I got to get up and I got to get in motion. I've got to actually practice, exercise out, so to speak, the very presence of God in my life. How do we do that? Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Very important word in this passage says, all the believers, here it is, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, I want you to focus on this word devoted for a moment because in the original language, what this means is, is to be strong towards. So in other words, all the believers were strong towards the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So if we take this concept of being strong towards something, then we can break our practice up into two segments. Here's what I mean by that. First of all, 
We're being taught by the Holy Spirit here in the book of Acts, I believe, that we have to all be strong towards God's word. That if I want to live in the flow of God's presence, I've got to be strong toward God's word. I've got to be devoted to God's word. I've got to practice God's word. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. I'm not talking about the accumulation of knowledge alone. I'm talking about taking the knowledge and exercising the knowledge. You know, the whole COVID crisis, at the very beginning, people were hoarding toilet paper and all kinds of things. Things that they didn't need to hoard. And now it's going to sit around forever, right? Or it's going to take you forever to use it up. Sometimes as Christians, we do that. We hoard God's word in Bible study after Bible study, but we don't ever exercise it. We don't ever practice it. We don't ever give it away. The folks there in the book of Acts, the early church, they hungered for God's word. They wanted God's word. They devoted themselves to it because they were building their lives out of it. They were anchoring themselves to it. This is new truth to them. And so the way you keep God's word flowing in your life, the way you keep it fresh in your life, is you're always practicing it, always giving it away. So what was the apostles' teaching? What does he mean they were devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, they're teaching on the Old Testament, the words of Jesus. And then as the Holy Spirit used the apostles, capital A, apostles, he gave them more words that are part of our New Testament or are our New Testament. And listen to what Paul said to the Thessalonians in mind of that. Therefore, he says, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So Paul's reminding us there that God uniquely used the apostles, those who had seen and been with Jesus, who Jesus breathed the spirit upon to continue to give us the rest of the revelation that God wanted us to have. Now here's the point. Are you anchoring yourself on that truth? Are you building your life, your family, our church on that truth? There's some interesting words in the Bible for this idea of the strength of something. One of them is actually a Hebrew word, and it is the word emun. That E is actually pronounced like an A-Y, emun. And a moon means to be solid or sure or strong. But if you add an A-H to the end of it, you get a munah. And a munah is the word in the Old Testament, one of the words that's used for faith. So the idea here is I put my faith in that which is sure and true and strong. And then that which is sure and true and strong makes my faith grow stronger itself. And there's another word that sounds very much like this that you've heard of, and it is the word amen, all right? And amen means it is true, I agree. It is true or I agree. So it's kind of a beautiful combination here. And the picture that comes to my mind is when you have a groom and a bride getting married, right? We'll draw our broom and our broom, our groom and our bride. And by the way, if this looks like anybody who's watching this right now is pure coincidence, all right? I'm just being funny. All right? So they get together and they tie the knot. We call that the marriage ceremony. But long before that happened, they had to get to know each other. 
and it was a bit of a dance as the groom and bride get to know each other. They're testing the waters. And one of the things they're really looking for is, can I trust him? Can I trust her? And as the relationship grows, you begin to trust each other. You begin to anchor your lives in each other. Finally, one day, what do you do? You have your wedding and you say, amen. You say yes to the other person. I'm committing my life to you because I trust you. Together we can build this relationship, maybe build this family. And that's why it's so devastating when a relationship like that gets separated or gets divorced or damage happens. Because it's hard to recover when someone or something that you've trusted and put your faith in, so to speak, betrays you or deserts you or does something to shake that up. And it takes time to rebuild it again. Well, the good news is God will, the Bible says, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll always be there for us. The word always is true and yay and right and amen. You know, there's a, a passage of scripture in the book of Isaiah where the prophet is speaking on God's behalf to King Asa of Judah. And he says to him, you're so worried about the king of Syria, the king of Samaria, the northern tribes, that they're going to come and attack you. God is telling you he's going to protect you. And then there's a play on the words to Asa in chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 9. The prophet says, if, however, it's a warning, he says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That is, if you don't put your emuna in what God's immune is, what God emun has, what God has said, all right, then you are going to fall and you're going to crumble. God's not going to work in your life if you don't trust him. God's not going to work in your life if you don't take his word to heart and anchor yourself on what he has said and then live by faith in that and practice it. Now, what are the consequences when we don't build our lives on God's word? When we don't devote, when we're not strong towards his doctrine, towards his teaching about life? Well, I came across a very interesting survey it was done recently by the Barna Group, and they call it the American Inventory, or the American Worldview Inventory of 2020, so it's very recent. And I want you to look at some of the things they discovered. 44% of American believers think that Jesus sinned. Wow! Now understand, uh, it's like 70-some percent of Americans call themselves Christians, so you know, we're already in a little, little bit of trouble. Because if I tell you what, if 70% of us, if 60% of us or 50% of us were true, born-again, passionate believers, this would be a different place than it is today. Right? But 44% believers think that Jesus sinned. Man, you're not anchored in God's Word if you believe that. How about 52% do not believe the Holy Spirit is a living entity but a symbol of God's power and presence. How do you come up with that? You must not be anchored in the Word of God. Or how about this one? More people, 56%, believe in Satan than in God, 51%. Or how about this? People act more on fear and rely more on the government than on God who is not in the equation in difficult circumstances. Now, I took that literally out of the document. It doesn't, you know, you first read it, it sounds kind of awkward. But the point is, if you put God out of the picture and you experience fear. Sound familiar? Where are you going to turn? Who will you turn to for your anchor, your hope, or your truth? You turn to human institutions and governments. And that's a scary 
place to be. Folks, we've got to be devoted to the Word of God if we want to experience the presence and the power of God. And so I encourage you, I implore you, devote yourself to truth, but listen, practice the truth. You know, if Michael Phelps, if all he ever did was eat right and never exercise, he would be the champion that he is. He ate in order to exercise, in order to have the energy to do the events. You and I, we take it in to have the energy to actually live out the Christian faith that God has called us to. All right, let's look now at a second aspect that we have to practice, and that is we have to be strong towards koinonia. So strong towards God's word, practice being strong towards God's word, now practice being strong towards koinonia. You say, what in the world is koinonia? Koinonia means fellowship. It's a Greek word for fellowship. And it literally means close association. It's like a deep friendship. It's close interaction. Actually, the secular Greeks used it to describe the relationship of a husband and a wife, that, that closeness with each other. Do you remember what it said there in the book of Acts as we've read the different verses over the last couple of weekends? It says that they met in the temple every day and in each other's houses. They loved being together. Do you remember what Ben Franklin said, Benjamin Franklin? He said, guess like fish smell after a few days. Ben didn't understand koinonia, all right? And when you're not living and practicing the Word of God and living and practicing the Holy Spirit, then I totally agree. You can really get on each other's nerves. And some of you probably are in this uh, shutter-in-place order that we're under right now. What an opportunity for you to go to God in prayer and visualize how you're supposed to treat that person and respond to that person and then bring it back into your daily life and watch things begin to change. But they loved being with one another. It was one of the high points of their lives. And you know what? When they were together, it says they ate meals, potlucks, I don't know. They sang hymns. They would have further teaching on the scriptures. They'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would wash each other's feet. I mean, it was an amazing place to be, and they loved being with each other. And if anybody had a need, they all took care of each other's needs. Nobody was without something being taken care of. They really loved and cared for each other. Now, have you ever wondered who made up the early church? Well, Scott McKnight is a professor, uh, has written a book called Christian Difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S, Christian Difference. And he, he talks about how the body of Christ is composed of so many different people from so many different backgrounds. We're like a mixed salad in a bowl. And then he quotes from a uh, British researcher and scholar who studied the early church and what the house churches in particular were like in the time of, of Paul there in Rome. And I want to I share with you the description he gave of the kind of house churches that existed back then. And generally speaking, there were about 30 people who would be part of a house church. So here we go. You would have a craft worker in whose home they meet, along with his wife, children, a couple of male slaves, a female slave, and a dependent relative. You would have some tenants with families and slaves and dependents also living in the same home and rented rooms. So you would have some family members of a householder who himself does not participate in the house church. You'd have a couple of slaves whose owners do not attend. You'd have a couple of homeless people you would then have a few migrant workers renting small rooms in the home. And finally, you might even have an enslaved prostitute 
What a, what a gathering, huh? What a mixture of people. And yet, that's what God used to change the Roman Empire. In fact, God used it so powerfully. They didn't even need to have evangelism programs back then. Look at this verse in Acts chapter 2. It says, All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Look at that. It says they, they're enjoying the goodwill of all the people. People loved these Christians. They loved what they saw happening around them. And it says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. No evangelism program. Why? Because people are watching and they're going, my goodness, this is radical. There, there's, there's no racism here. There's no judgment here. There, you got slaves and, and the rich and the in-between all together, loving each other, caring for each other. They're all in common together. And people were attracted and wanted to be part of a movement like that. How did that come about? Two ways. It came about because they visualized it in prayer. They saw what the kingdom of God was meant to be. And they said, let's be it. They devoted themselves to the teaching of God and then put it into practice. They became this loving community. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my followers. What is the marker? How will all men know you're my followers? How will your neighbors know I'm your followers? How will your enemies know you're my followers? by the love you have for each other. And the spilling out of that love to neighbors and to friends and to others. That's how. That's how. I think about this time right now when we're scattered. We're not able to meet in our buildings. And I think to myself that, you know, God may have a purpose in all of this. Maybe God wants us out of the institution because we become institutionalized. Maybe God is calling us out into our homes and our neighborhoods to live out our faith in love and concern and care for each other like I'm hearing you do. So people say, if that's what the church is, I want it. If that's what God is, I want him. And so I'm excited, even though these are hard and difficult days, I'm excited what God's going to do in your life, folks, and I'm hearing about what he's doing in your life. I heard about a church that just met last weekend in a cul-de-sac. You're going to hear that story in a few moments, but first let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the power that you've given to us from the heavenlies to bring down here on earth. We can access it by prayer. We can, we can exercise it out, Lord, by faith. Thank you for the truth we can anchor our lives to, O oh God, in this world that is so confused about what truth is. Lord, help us in these days not to waver, not to give up, not to be discouraged. Help us not to simply sit on our hands and wait until we can come back. God, we are the church right now, where we are. And Lord, as long as we are in this situation, we're going to make the best of it. And I thank you for the story we're about to hear of some folks that made the most of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to this story. Well, hey, everyone. I am here with the Newhard and the Palmer families who are neighbors in the South Metro. And get this, they decided last weekend to start a church right in their cul-de-sac with Wooddale. Guys, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so uh, Lisa and I have been praying for over five years together, just prayer partners every morning. And God has really been placing it on our hearts 
in the recent years to serve our neighbors in some capacity. We weren't sure what that looked like. We had explored Bible studies and book clubs and prayer groups and nothing really came together. We're all so busy and um, even ourselves are busy and something always got in the way. Enter quarantine <laughs> and we're all really have not much to do. We're missing community terribly. And so initially the idea was on Easter, we started to have some good weather and we thought, let's have Easter in the cul-de-sac together. And then we had a snowstorm. Um, so we just kind of were like, oh, it's just so hard. And, um, but then Pastor Dale, the next weekend, he mentioned how this was gonna be our new norm for a while. And I will admit that I got pretty discouraged by that because I miss everybody from church and I miss the community and the fellowship. And, um, but by the end of the sermon, I texted Lisa with super excitement of saying, that's it call us at church, let's start it next weekend. And she said, I'm all in, come on over tonight. In our backyard, we had our two families get together and we put together a plan. Yeah, and I know you students were part of that plan as well. Tell us about how you helped out. Yeah, so I wanted to make some invites, so I made them online and we printed them out. And my mom and I went to the dollar store and grabbed some supplies and we made May ba Mayday baskets and um, we put them together and um, put the invitations inside and that's how we invited people was through the Mayday basket. And then a uh, couple days later my mom had ordered a, t a TV stand for like so we could watch church and then me and Savannah put that together and I also helped out with the tent because like it was really windy that day. So the tent kept trying to fly away. <laughs> so I just kept getting, and it would move. And so I just kept going and putting that back. And I helped get the electronics set up and stuff like that. Yeah, so, and since there's a ton of teens in our neighborhood, we decided to watch the student ministry video after the sermon and do the discussion questions and that was good so we got to see each other and actually communicate that is so cool lisa as you look back on last weekend can you give us a picture of what was it like yeah absolutely it we started planning and it would get bigger and bigger and then we said wait a minute no this just needs to be simple this is church what do we need well we need a tv um so we went to amanda's basement and she had a broken tv down there that worked just good enough to put it on that tv stand and plug in a um you know a video or a speaker and we have church so we invited 12 families i mean that's including ours and we had 23 people and a dog all show up for church that morning we all sat as families six feet apart and watched the broken tv listened to the music um it was different generations and people that go to different churches, just listening to that praise and worship music, listening to Dale speak about the word of God. It was great to have everybody together. And somebody had shown up with um, donuts and coffee for everybody, which was always a good thing. Um, but it was an even better thing when we realized it's communion Sunday. What are we gonna do? We didn't bring out bread and wine. Well, we had donuts and coffee for communion. I mean, that works too, right? Um, but the fellowship, the community, and being with my friends and neighbors, um, listening to Dale and the praise and worship music was, was wonderful. I walked around the rest of the day, my heart was full. 
-hmm. I love it. And I know even this weekend you guys are meeting and you're planning on continuing meeting into the future. Amanda, what's your hope for your neighborhood and as this continues? Yeah, well, the excitement was just not beyond, it was far beyond Lisa and I and our families. Um, the neighbors are super excited, can't wait to get back. We already have another neighbor saying, I'm bringing donuts next week. <laughs> so it's, um, the excitement has been set and we're excited to continue it on into future weeks. But far beyond our own neighborhood is really where this is um, in our hearts. Um, we want to share our story with the congregation because we believe that um, this can go far beyond just our neighborhood and into the met the full metro into Wooddale and so far beyond um, to just spread the word of God. There's no better way to get people to church than have it right outside their front door. <laughs> so it was great and we can't wait to see. Um, we really hope and pray that we will hear more stories like our neighborhood that start these churches throughout the Twin Cities. Yeah, and I think I speak for all of us when I say you have inspired us and we are so impressed and proud of the way that you are really living out what it means to be on mission for Jesus and what it means to be the church right where you're at in your community and in your neighborhood. And I can't wait to hear and see all that God does through your faithfulness as you work together to be the church. And by the way, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>